Motherhood plays an important role in the Bible. It binds the beginning and the end. These stories offer us a glimpse into the heart of God. And so we start at the beginning. Taken from the side of Adam, gifted with bringing forth life, the first woman was named Eve because she was the mother of all living. But she was also a mother in her own right, the first of many mothers to come. Though Sarah's womb was closed, God promised nations and kings would come from her. Ten years pass, and motherhood seems as impossible as the day it was promised. But the Lord is faithful to keep his promises, and Sarah bore a son who made her laugh. Leah was the firstborn, overlooked by her husband Jacob, who gave his heart to her younger sister. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Despite Jacob's disdain, she found her motherhood in the Lord. When Pharaoh became angry at the fruitfulness of the Hebrews, Jochebed sacrificed her motherhood for the sake of her son. When Pharaoh's daughter saw the child, she had compassion on him. Because of Jochebed's sacrificial motherhood, the Israelites found freedom. Naomi was a mother who experienced the loss of her sons, yet she gained a daughter in Ruth who declared, For where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Naomi and Ruth became family by faith. Mary, a virgin and not yet married, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The motherhood of this blessed woman was more than the continuation of a family name, but a means for God to bring a savior into the world to save his people from their sins. From the garden to the cross, there have always been mothers. These women paved the way for all women, representing the full spectrum of the ways one could be called mom. Whether a mother in faith, mentorship, adoption, or by birth, you play an important role in the stories of generations to come. To all the Sarahs, Leahs, Jochebeds, and Naomis, Happy Mother's Day. All right, well, Happy Mother's Day again. Um, I felt like when I watched that video for the first time, I wasn't sure where I could go after that, because that pretty much sums up how you want to think about Mother's Day. Um, but you're going to hear more about this in a little bit. Um, and uh, before I go too far, since I do have the privilege of having a microphone on a live stream, happy Mother's Day, Mom. Um, but before you, we go too far, um, I just want to kind of give you just a little bit of a story of what Mother's Day means to me and my own family um, as my family makes their way to the back to uh, kind of participate in children's uh, ministry just a little bit. Um, as the years go by, this day is picking up meaning for me and my family. I'm sure that's true of most families, um, but it's, it's picking up a, a lot of significance for us, and you're going to hear about that at the end of our time today. Um, but it's also becoming more and more of a solid reminder for me uh, in particular in my family, of kind of the difficulties 
of days like Mother's Day for some of us. Um, and so I just want to start by saying two things before we get into kind of our story. First, I just want to say that uh, I know that in the past, even in my own ministry as a youth pastor and as a music pastor, um, I, I have been insensitive to these realities, uh, not only just with Mother's Day, but just holidays in general, and not out of any kind of malice, but just you're just not aware um, of kind of the difficulties of life. Some of that is just Youth, you just don't know what you don't know yet. Uh, and some of that is just uh, you don't experience that until you experience it. And so um, in an attempt in my own ministry to kind of not cave to the cultural pressure of this, you know, this made up holiday that's just here for you to buy stuff, which that's partly true with all holidays. But in my attempt to do that, um, I think I would kind of take too hard of a stance and not be able to be more sensitive to moms on Mother's Day and to women on Mother's Day uh, for whom this can be a sensitive time. And so as the years go by, I'm noticing that every holiday, not just Mother's Day, but every holiday, um, there's a little group of people who see that holiday a little differently than everybody else uh, because there's some memory attached to that that maybe isn't as joy-filled as it is for um, as it is for the way our culture wants us to view every holiday as this kind of cotton candy happy time, and that's just not life. Um, but here's the second thing I want to say is, and this is mainly to those of you ladies, maybe you're watching, maybe you're in the room, who for whatever reason have not had biological children of your own. Um, I've been in so many churches. I've honestly participated. Uh, it, it been the one to put things together where we do things, uh, which in our attempt, in our good-hearted attempt uh, to not leave any ladies out, we say things like, all women are mothers on Mother's Day. And while I know that there was good intentions there, what ends up happening without us realizing is that we can actually emphasize the points of pain for people, uh, for, for women, uh, even more. So let me just say this to all of us as a reminder, but especially to you ladies watching this. Um, uh, becoming a mother for us men, becoming a father, those are beautiful realities that we, they're good. Like those are good things. Uh, in fact, um, the Bible says that children are a blessing. Uh, but, but here's the thing, before any of us are fathers and mothers, before any of us uh, get the joy of that, we ourselves are God's child. And so we ourselves are a blessing to him. The Old Testament says that God's people are his portion, that God delights over you. And I want specifically you ladies in the room who've experienced some of the things tied to the pain of Mother's Day. Uh, you've been through infertility. You've been through uh, maybe the experience of losing a pregnancy. Maybe you've lost children. Uh, and now you wonder, what does that make me? How do I deal with this? I just want you to hear me say that you are first and foremost created in the image of God. You are his child. You are a blessing to God. You are a blessing to people around you. And that has nothing to do with whether or not you're a mother. You're fully a woman made in God's image, whether or not you're a mom. That's not connected to that in that way. And so not, not all women are mothers. We face that reality. Uh, many women wish they were mothers that are not mothers, but all women are women, and that is enough. God created you to be fully loved by him and loved by his people, um, regardless of whether or not you have the, the blessing of bringing children into the world. Uh, so I'm not saying that this reality, me saying that magically takes away all your pain. That's not how it works. But my hope is that maybe being reminded of that truth, um, that you're not some kind of second-class woman or something weird like that, that I've, I've heard so many cringy things in my time in churches that I just want to say this to you, um, that, that, that you are what God has intended you to be somehow, 
Um, in my own family story, I don't quite know how that works. Um, and those of you who know our story know why I'm saying that. So um, I just want you to know that God loves you. God's people love you. It doesn't matter or not whether uh, you're actually a biological mom on Mother's Day or not for God to love you. Having said that, we want to celebrate moms. Um, and, and so we can do both of those things and do them well. So today we're going to be looking at portions of the first and the last chapters of the book of Ruth. Okay, the book of Ruth. If you want to pop a Bible open, you can, but I'll be reading you the text I'm going to be uh, kind of talking from. Now, Ruth is considered one of the most beautifully written pieces of literature from the ancient Near East. Like, if we just look at it as a piece of literature, it's a very beautiful, well-written piece. Um, and, and there's a story that I've heard from other pastor friends uh, that Thomas Jefferson, this is kind of a legend, we think it's true, but we're not sure, uh, when he was ambassador to France, he would regularly attend meetings of a society uh, that would call themselves the Infidels Club. Uh, and so they were strictly secular. They, they were secularists in their thinking, and they were dedicated to finding the best ideas, the best literature that humanity could produce. And so uh, Jefferson, being uh, a deist, he, he did have the Bible. He would, uh, bring, they would bring books together, and they would bring art and talk about this as intellectuals. Um, and, and so Thomas Jefferson played this trick where he brought the book of Ruth, but he changed all the names so that they wouldn't know who it was. But he left the story verbatim, and he read it in front of them. And everyone was amazed at how masterfully written this piece of literature was. And then... Uh, some, some even exclaimed that it was the most perfect short story that they'd ever heard or ever composed. And then he said that it was, in fact, the book of Ruth, and uh, they, they weren't very happy with him. Um, but that just goes to show you the beauty of this story. So I want to encourage you, just read this story just as a story. It's really, really uh, beautiful thing. So we're going to look kind of an overview style at two passages that focus on Naomi in the book of Ruth, who the book is named after uh, Ruth is, is going to be in our story today, but we're going to focus on Naomi. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with this story, one of the reasons uh, that the story of Naomi is so powerful is because it's not a sugar-coated cotton candy story of a fairy tale life. It is a story of a uh, realistic, complicated, nuanced life of this woman. Um, in this story, Naomi experiences everything from bitterness to sweetness and back and forth. And that's how life works, isn't it? I mean, a lot of our stories just kind of end with the happily ever after. But like the people in the stories are like in their 30s. Like life's stuff's going to happen. More stuff's going to happen. And they're going to go through seasons of life that maybe are bitter and then sweet and bitter. And that's why this story, I think, is so powerful. Uh, despite everything that Naomi goes through, she, she experiences all these different emotions, all these different disappointments, and yet she's ready and she's willing to kind of push back into her own little family unit and, and make sacrifices for the people she loves only to be disappointed again. And so despite everything she goes through, though, God isn't done with her. God isn't done with her in, in this part of the scriptures, uh, even when she is ready to be, I'm done. I'm just going to go back home. I'm done with this. And we'll get there. So, so I want to look at what she went through by just starting with some background at the very beginning of the book of Ruth. This is, I'm going to read Ruth 1, verses 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Okay, so sometimes in the Old Testament, you get set up sentences like this that probably encapsulate like 20 years. In one little sentence, that's all we get. 
In the days when the judges ruled, so this is a large period of time, there was a famine. Now, famines usually last kind of a long time. They're not like a six-month thing. They, they last a while. So this is a kind of setting you up. It's that wide shot at the beginning of the movie, uh, that establishing shot, they call it in cinema, where you see the real wide angle, and then it zooms down in. And so that's what we're going to do. It says this, so there was this famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. I'm definitely going to mispronounce that a few times. And his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malhan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to Moab and lived there. I even practiced all these, but the lights, they make you nervous. Um, So names had a great significance in this day. Um, They kind of do in our time too, like people name, you know, you name kids after family members and stuff. Like in my family, all the men on my dad's side have Charles in their name. And so my mom's from South America. My dad has Charles. So my middle name is Carlos, right? Some of you are like, I didn't know you were that ethnically diverse in your name. Um, so, so names still have significance, but we don't tend to name kids based on what the name means uh, as much as they did here. And so um, you, you get an insight into this family in the scriptures just by knowing what their names mean. So Elimelech, uh, his name literally means my God is king. And Naomi's name means pleasantness or sweetness. So think of the like sweet, happy, godly couple. That's kind of what their names are implying here. This is, you know, a young young guy who loves the Lord, seeks to follow him. He sees guidance in God's, in his life. And he marries this sweet, pleasant girl who uh, he knows from town. And so Uh, We know from later on in the book of Ruth that they were uh, somewhat of means. They had some some wealth because Elimelech owned a valuable piece of property. uh, And so they did have some means in their family. And so imagine, right, the, the, the nice young man and the sweet young girl with a little bit of money. What kind of hopes and dreams did they have for the future? They probably had some plans, right? That's what people do. Um, and, and so they hope to probably accomplish some things as a family together. The, the normal expectation is that when two, you know, kind of wonderful, beautiful people have kids, those kids are beautiful and wonderful too. Uh, but, but that's not what always happens. And that's not what happens here. Um, Malhan and Kilion's names literally mean unhealthy and sickly. That's what their names mean. So, so Naomi had hoped and planned, I'm sure, for uh, what most moms hope for when they know they're having a son, you know, a, a strong, strapping young boy who's going to be a nice gentleman and, and, and do all the things that you expect uh, a boy to do in your culture. Uh, but instead, she gets these sick kind of weakly boys. They're not what the normal expectation of, you know, wild little boy is. Um, and, and so that's the, the first bitter moment for them. And I'm sure they, they plan to raise these boys around their family, because this is really important in their culture. Um, they, they plan to raise them in, a, in kind of a network of kind of extended, we would call extended family, uh, as, a, as a whole little kind of family unit. Um, but, but maybe because of the, the famine, or maybe the health, um, or maybe both, uh, Elimelech moves his family to Moab. Now, this isn't like a cross-town move. This is moving from where everybody knows you and loves you to a place where they don't know you, they don't really like you, and they don't like your God. Okay, so it's a, it's a big, big change. And so for today, let's think of Naomi's part in this. She's got to move her whole home now. Start all over. Right, Let, let's assume maybe she's, they have two little boys, she's mid-20s-ish. 
right? That's a big move in your life to be doing that. And so th- this is a move from God's place of kind of blessing and people to a place where people actually invited God's punishment on them. They, they did not want that. Uh, there, there was uh, about a hundred or so years after this all occurred, uh, King David, who is uh, Ruth's great-grandson, by the way, uh, King David wrote that Moab is my wash basin. Okay? Now let your imagination go with what that means. It's worse than you, whatever you're imagining. Okay, other translations read my scrubbing pot or my sludge bucket. Okay? So figure out what that modern translation might be. Uh, keep that to yourself, and then you'll get a full picture of kind of the reputation of Moab among the Israelites. So here's Naomi being a mom, dealing with whatever, you know, the stuff that moms deal with, which is like everything. Uh, I know last night we, we rode in the car for eight hours yesterday, got home, and I went up to bed, and I'm laying in the bed, and I hear the washing machine start and the vacuum cleaner go. I'm like, man, chill out. We could do this tomorrow, but, the, you know, that's... That's what moms do. So I went to sleep. Um, That's what dads do. So she's away from everything she knows, from everyone she knows. She's trying to survive. Remember, it's a famine. She's not enough food. She's trying to survive. She's got two, uh, let's say, special needs kids. They're sickly and they're weak at home. And then to top all that off, Elimelech dies. So now she's alone with all this. This is incredibly difficult. And in the Bible, many times we read a story, like I said at that beginning sentence, and we forget that there's like decades wrapped up in this sentence, right? Uh, Think of the years going by. When I think of that, I think of like the the days that mark our years, like Mother's Day went by again, and and then Christmas went, I know they didn't have Christmas, but think in our terms, Christmas went by again, and then Easter comes again, and then this comes again. For her, she's gonna be marking it by the feasts. The years are just passing and passing and passing. And Naomi is just stuck in this situation. For years, as her boys grow up, without a dad, her without a husband, which was very significant in this culture, even more so in a foreign land. But, you know, maybe at least they'll grow and meet some nice Israelite girls and, and maybe there'll be some grandchildren for Naomi, right? Well, these boys do grow up. And then in what was probably considered a, a huge, we know it was considered a huge slap in the face to their own mom and affront to their own faith, they marry Moabite women. Uh, and that's a whole other conversation about that. But in this culture and in this moment, this is a huge disappointment. We, we, this wasn't done. And, and so, just as you think, well, at least, maybe, at least maybe even then, they'll learn to love one another. You know, Naomi will love uh, her daughters-in-law at least. And, and there'll be this cool multicultural family and we'll see some grandsons. And then, no, but both of her sons die then. Right? And so now she's lost her husband. She has these uh, two sons who she's lost now after raising them with all that difficulty. And she's now left with these two daughters-in-law who are from a whole different culture than her. So this is disappointment after disappointment. Right? And, and maybe some of us can feel that. She, she, she weathered. And, and when you're in that season of disappointment after disappointment, you think, okay, I'm just going to get through this one And then after that, I'm sure it'll be fine. And then the next one happens. And you look back and 15 years have gone by. And and what do you do with that? So she weathers all this. And now she's 
you know, from what we can tell in the story, she's just basically done. She's kind of done with it. So she decides, I'm going to go home and live out my days among my people as, as a poor widow. At least there, they'll be, they're my people, and I'm not in this foreign land. And so if you know the story, she begs her daughters-in-law to go back, go back and have a family. Go back to your people. Uh, she wants them to maybe perhaps have their own lives, their own families one day. And so one of these daughters-in-law does go back home, and, and there's nothing wrong with that in the story, but one of them doesn't. One of them stays with Naomi, and so now Naomi returns home, who a completely different person from the past. One of the things I thought about this week as I was driving around the hometown I was in when I was a teenager, and I actually had a conversation with one of my college friends who was down from Milwaukee, you know, just so happened we were in the same place at the same time, so we got Cuban food together, because that's what we do. Um, and uh, we were just talking about, like, even just the way we used to talk as young men. And like, we couldn't believe we used to say some of the things we used to say. And we're a different person now. Why? Because we've been through some life experience that has taught us that our words hurt people. And I can't believe that that's who I was. And, and there's a sense of that in a different way for Naomi as she goes home. She's a different person now. She's been through some stuff, right? Maybe you have an old friend and, and you haven't seen them for a decade and they go through some stuff. And when you see them again, you're like, who is this? Because they've experienced some things. And so this one daughter stays with Naomi. She returns home with her, a totally different person from this pleasant, sweet person that her name says she is. She's been through so much and she returns home to this familiar place and these familiar people. Um, and so listen to Ruth. This is 119 through 22. So the two women, Ruth and Naomi, they went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women, meaning the women of the town, exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Right? I know this is every woman's dream to come back home and all the women of the town say, is that her? Right? Now, verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Don't call me who I am. Call me this. Don't identify me as the sweet, pleasant person that God intended me to be. Identify me as this bitter person because God has given me a bitter life. She says, verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, some of you read that and you think, I could have written that. I could write that. Why has God done this to me? And what I want you to know is you're welcome at God's table. This is in his book. So Naomi returned from Moab, verse 22, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So people who had known her her whole life barely recognized her. She, she, she'd been through so much, right? Lost so much. She didn't even want to use her name anymore. She is bitter. She is filled with bitterness. She's ready to give up, but God is not done writing her story yet. Uh, none of her plans worked out. I mean, we're assuming she had the plans that most people have when they get married and have kids and have a family. They, there's kind of a trajectory in your mind, and none of that worked out. But what we know from this story and from the entire story of redemption and God's unfolding plan of making all things new is that God was still present in the midst of all of that, working to use Naomi's life in a different way than she thought. 
So you may feel like your plans didn't work out and that life didn't turn out to be anything like you expected. I feel like that. I thought I was going to have babies at like 22, 23 years old. But it just didn't happen. I mean, that, that's the picture I had for myself. Young, fun grandpa. But, you know, it wasn't meant to be, I guess. Um, but that doesn't mean God isn't working. God does different things than we think sometimes. And so when Naomi felt like God had forgotten about her, God had abandoned her, that he just wanted bitterness for her, what he was actually doing is laying the groundwork to bless not only her, but her nation and the entirety of humanity for, through what she thought was a disappointment. But I want you to hear me say that doesn't take away the disappointment. It's still there. It's, it's okay, though. God uses that. And so as it always does, time goes on and bellies get hungry. And so at this point in the story, Ruth, Naomi's daughter, goes out, uh, daughter-in-law, she, she stayed with her. She goes out into the fields to glean whatever food she can find. Uh, and, and she finds food for her and Naomi. And so while she's out gleaning, Ruth then meets a man who's a relative of Elimelech's. Now there's an entire whole storyline about a kinsman redeemer, which is part of why Ruth is so incredibly beautiful God wonderfully orchestrates everything that's needed to come together to bring Ruth and Boaz together and make everything work. But for today, I want you to notice, um, I want you to notice what this did in Naomi. So this is Ruth 4, verses 14 through 17. Now the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this very day has not left you without a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Now, I don't know if we can understand the significance of an ancient Near Eastern person saying that a daughter-in-law is more significant than seven sons. Understand what the Bible is doing there, ladies. It is flipping on its head what we might call the patriarchy in our language today, and saying daughter-in-law, not even bloodline daughter, but your daughter-in-law has loved you and love is more important than you know, this cultural expectation of having seven sons. Your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Now, just... Put yourself in this moment. She is holding a baby she never thought she would ever hold. Her sons died. Grandchildren gone. But here we are. She took the child in her arms and cared for him. It's not an accident that that little sentence is right here in this story. The, the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father. Now listen to this. This is where this story is going to get me. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Jesus is the better David. To understand the significance of Naomi's life. Three chapters earlier, all she felt was disappointment and emptiness. And now she's experienced this new sense of life and hope, right? But I really want to drive this point home. Too often our attempts in telling these stories, we gloss over the fact 
that someone like Naomi still lost her husband and her two sons. Right? Like when people tell the story of Job sometimes, they gloss over it and go like, well, he got new kids, but he wanted the old ones. People have said that kind of stuff to to my family in, in our foster care journey. Well, you know, another kid will come. I don't want another one. I wanted that one. Now, God will grow my love for a new child, but that doesn't take that away. So the reason I tell you that is I think it's so important for us as we look forward to the coming kingdom of God and the hope that is coming and all of his promises working out, he is not telling you to get rid of the reality of your life. He is telling you that he will redeem it and work through it. So this happy chapter doesn't erase all of the pain-filled ones. In fact, holding that baby, moms, probably made the faces of her little boys and her husband come right into her mind. It didn't make her forget. It made her work through that somehow. And so many of, this, many of us in this room, or maybe you're watching online, you have stories like this. They're complicated And I just want to always draw your attention to the reality that God doesn't just swoop in and make you forget all that stuff. Instead, he is present with you in the middle of that stuff. And he works things in such a way that will blow your mind and your heart if you will let him because they are not what you would expect and they are so much more beautiful and honest than the stories we would write. And so as is so often the case, Naomi went through the time of bitterness But God was faithful, and now we see that his sweetness had returned to Naomi again in this moment. Listen to Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Repeat that part. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, I know that at times, our hopes and our dreams get crushed, right? I mean, part of life is learning how to come out the other side of that. We get disappointed by life turning out so much differently than we expected, but that doesn't mean that God isn't working. Don't make that connection. That will destroy your soul. Because you and I matter to God. He, he sees every tiny detail of what you worry about. He, he knows the pain that you feel. Jesus came to be present in our pain as a human. And the thing you have given up on is maybe the thing that he's working on and working through in you. Naomi would have never suspected everything that God had in store for her. She couldn't think of that, right? Nobody would have thought that story up. It's like crazier than fiction. She thought her story was over when in reality it was kind of the beginning of the book. She had no idea. So my encouragement to you today is don't let disappointment make you bitter. Grieve. Cry. Feel that sadness. But don't let that root of bitterness come in. Don't let life's circumstances steal your sweetness because what we know is if you're breathing, God is not done with your story yet. He is not. Now, As I said earlier, (laughs) Mother's Day carries a specific significance for my own family. And so as we were making our way back from Florida uh, yesterday in the car, Amy and I got to talking and I was just telling her kind of, she's a good pastor's wife. She lets me like kind of give her my sermon beforehand and tell me, nah, that's not good. Um, 
Amy and I, got, we got to talking about where we were going this morning and just talking about kind of the chapters of our own story, right? I mean, we just, we had a significant chapter happen. Uh, some of you heard about that last week and we realized um, that Amy, I realized Amy has a really beautiful perspective on this day and that would be way more powerful than anything I could say to you about it. Um, although I've tried to do my best. So I just want to invite Amy to come up here and Journey, you can come up here too and stand with me if you want. All right. She's just going to share a little bit with us of her story, and then I'll come back up and wrap up this morning. Mm -hmm. Give that to mommy. Hey. All right, I'm going to do my absolute best to get through this without melting down. Um, I told Jeff I don't want to cry on live stream, so <laughs> please don't zoom in if I start crying. Okay. <laughs> All right, so... Mother's Day is a day full of many emotions. For some, this day is joyful, happy, and full of pleasure. For others, it's painful, sorrowful, and full of heartache. And for many, it's a complex combination of these all. This statement from the ForgottenInitiative.org summarizes Mother's Day very well. And what I want to share today comes from a story of a complex combination of these feelings. At the end of my seventh year of teaching, in 2013, I decided to resign and pursue motherhood. Jeff and I were in our sixth year of marriage, and we were invited by some friends at church to attend a foster care information seminar. By the end of the year, we were awaiting for our home study to be completed and our first placement to arrive. On May 6, 2014, we received the phone call that we were licensed, and on May 8th, the Thursday before Mother's Day, he arrived. A beautiful little boy who was eight months old. He lived with us for 10 months and went to live with a family member. We were heartbroken. Naturally, we took some time off and reopened our home a few months later. On May 6th, 2015, the Thursday, you're gonna notice this theme comes up quite a bit, before Mother's Day, we received a baby girl who was six days old. Many of you know her today. Okay. After two and a half years, of foster care, The words are there, okay? All right. We were able to adopt, and now she is officially our daughter. At two years old, she started asking for a baby sister. I kept telling her to pray. It took 10 years of prayer to get you, so be prepared. It may take a while. She is very persistent. If you know her, oh my goodness. <laughs> she never lets go of an idea. Honestly, I had no idea how this would happen. And I mean, I, not a day went by we didn't pray for a baby sister. And I told her, you know, it might be a boy. We don't know. And we, you'll see in a moment, started the foster care journey again. 
So at the end of 2017, we moved to Maryland and we needed to take time to adjust to a new job, an adoption, and new state. Foster care was still on our hearts. In January of 2020, Jeff and I started the process of becoming foster parents in Maryland. The process was very similar to our first experience, except a pandemic hit the world. And like many of you, our plans were slowed way down. It took 16 months to complete licensing. Four weeks ago, we were anxiously waiting for our home study to be approved and our first placement of a baby from Maryland. Instead, we received an email from Florida announcing our daughter had a baby brother and they were looking at us for placement. I bursted out in tears and ran to tell Jeff. This was not what I was expecting. The next day, we found out we were licensed for foster care in Maryland, and we had already planned a trip to Florida at the end of May. When we got to Florida, we found out another surprise. It was not a baby brother, but a baby sister. On May 6th, Two thousand twenty one. The Thursday before Mother's Day. It's really cool, so I'm trying to get through this. Alright. <laughs> the day our daughter arrived six years ago, the day our first placement arrived seven years ago, and the same date that we received our first phone call in 2014 that we were licensed for foster care in Florida. We got to visit our daughter's biological sister. I don't know how this part of the story will end, but I can't deny the timing. God is at work. So when someone says Happy Mother's Day to me, my emotions are mixed. I am happy, joyful, and full of pleasure because I am a new mother, or I am now a mother. I am full of heartache because I miss the children who did not stay. I am sorrowful because I am reminded of the biological mothers who lost their children the Thursday before Mother's Day. I am pain-stricken because... I cannot have children of my own. It is a very complex combination of emotions. So Philippians 4, 6 or 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> you gonna hang out up here? Yes. Okay. In case any of you were like, why didn't you go over there? Should, shouldn't need me to save her like that. Um, 
I, I just like how God, you know, works things together like this. Uh, that text in Philippians is really almost saying the same thing that that text in Psalms that I read a minute ago said. Um, the righteous cry out. That sounds a lot like cast all your cares on him. Um, and so I just love how those things uh, work together to be reminded that God is inviting us to bring our deepest desires to him. To bring your deepest desires to him because he cares for us. That, that's good enough, right? That's, that's a good enough promise. But then we are given this reality that there is a peace that comes from God that's beyond anything that we can understand with our minds. And, and, and moms, you might be the best, ladies in, in general, you might be the best at understanding intuition, that there are things that just go beyond the intellect. And I think this is what we're seeing here in Philippians, that God works in ways and he writes stories that simply transcend our ability to make sense out of them. And so the invitation, if you're a mom or you've always wanted to be a mom or you were a mom but you've lost, and really this invitation is for all of us, the invitation is to come to God through Jesus and bring your deepest desires to him and see what he does with it. See if he doesn't write a story of redemption over the next decades and years of your life. Now, I want to just close today uh, by reading you a prayer. Uh, this is a Mother's Day prayer written by a woman named Peggy Emerson. And uh, since some of you already have tissue out, just keep it out. <laughs> I might need some too. Yeah, sorry. Waterworks today. Let me pray this. Journey, come hold my hand. Because you're walking around a lot. All right. Let's pray together. Oh God, we draw on the image of you as one who nurtures, who gathers, and who protects. We pray for those women who have nurtured us as mothers and who are no longer with us and who we miss so dearly. We reflect upon those women who have influenced our lives in so many ways and we give thanks. We pray for the women around the world who are working long days and nights to raise their children right now. We pray for mothers who have fled violence and difficult situations and who have been separated from their children or who have experienced the tragedy of the death of a child. We pray for mothers living in uncertainty and facing the unknown. We pray for all the women who are expecting but aren't quite mothers yet. Thank you, God, for soon-to-be mothers. We pray for families where a mother's illness has led to an early death. We pray for the women who took in others' children through adoption and foster care. We give thanks for these mothers with hearts so big. We pray for those women who have lost a child to death and must carry on. We pray for women who have lost a child due to their own choices in life. We pray for strength and courage for the mothers who have faced grief and loss of every kind. We pray for women whose children have grown and whom they now seldom see. We pray for mothers who are at a distance from their own children. We pray for all the women who have desperately wanted to have children of their own. And we pray for those troubled by the prospect of motherhood, perhaps too soon or with too few resources to care for a child. Oh God, we offer these prayers to you this day. Hear the prayers of our own hearts. Would you stand with me?
We're going to just close our time together. I'm going to do my best to speak the benediction over you from memory, even though my mind is in a million other places. Um, and then I want to invite you to come back in this room in a little bit if you want, and uh, we're going to take communion together uh, in about five minutes or so. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.